you could make it. Did you get a help? I, I think I saw you going by. Did the snow plug, plow driver get out and help get you here? You know, i got to get a picture of that, Linda. Cold, one of the coldest days, the most snow, and you're driving your wheelchair to church. I mean, what's that? <laughs> uh, that's, that's impressive, you know. Any excuses why you can't make it to church? Look at this. We're in Jonah chapter 3. We've uh, been looking at this. Uh, I thank God, uh, Steve, that you've got the podcast working, but it's, I don't know if it's really that great now because I had some people say, well, we're going to miss, but, you know, we'll stay home and watch, listen to the podcast. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> but anyways, uh, it's good to see all the different uh, – he gave me a little clip as to where these podcasts are all going through North America, and all of a sudden I noticed that the biggest majority are in Windsor that listen to it. And I hear also that in no one's sound. I thought, well, I pastored in no one's sound. Halifax, oh, I pastored there too. But then Charlotte, Florida, and then also through Nevada and into California, and I forget all the other places. It was kind of rather intriguing who all listens to this. But we're in Jonah 3, and in Jonah 3, we're starting now. We, we, we talked about the first week. Just let's do a quick summary. We happened, we, we said in Jonah chapter 1, the verse for three verses, we talked about, can a man run from God? And the answer is, no, it's dumb. And then we went to the next thing, that, that when Jonah not only ran away from God, but in order to bring Jonah back on track, God allowed a storm in his life. Allowed, he brought it on. And sometimes God brings storms on in our lives to show us where we need to go. We got that one. In the process of uh, the storm, he gets swallowed by a whale. Said so God sent a storm. God sent a whale. Okay, that's, that's interesting. And he gets swallowed by a whale. And in the process of coming to his senses in the whale, he begins to pray to God. First time we really see Jonah praying again. Uh, and... Uh, then as he prays to God and repents, sorry for what he's done, realizes you can't run from God, you need to do what God tells you, that's kind of summarizing it quickly, that he needs to go to Nineveh to proclaim the message. And at that point, God has him vomited out onto land. Not a great picture, but anyways. And we said sometimes what happens, and we've uh, seen this evidence, is that sometimes when you been in the whale or in a large fish, that the gastric juices tend to bleach your skin white and you probably smell like fish puke. So anyways, he gets, and he has about probably about a 20 or 30 day journey to get to the city of Nineveh to proclaim this message. But you know what I thought about when I thought about Jonah on his way to Nineveh is that sometimes when we have erred or made mistakes in our lives, what we tend to do is we tend to regress and we tend to, what I would say, beat ourselves up for our disobedience. Been there? Yeah. So Jonah said, you said, was that in the Bible? No. But do you talk to a lot of people? Yeah, I do. And the whole issue, again, is that in this process, that sometimes when you've been through the storm, you've almost drowned, you've been three days and nights in the belly fish, all this could have been avoided by Jonah, if he'd have obeyed in the first place, you could have avoided the storm. You could have avoided all the other stuff in your life, the mess, if you'd been obedient. But how many of us really 
learn from obedience in the first place. Most of us tend to learn more from our mistakes and our failures than we do. But yet, the Bible says, if you love God, you're to obey him. But, uh, I mean, have you ever disobeyed God in some way and then come to your senses afterwards and say, man, that was stupid. Why, Why did I ever do that? What was I thinking? Yeah. I'm sure Jonah must have beat himself up many times during his journey to Nineveh as he played out the scenes in his mind. Because, you know, our, our mind's like, you know, great uh, movie projector, and we sometimes play out our past as to what's gone on and what I should have done. But the problem is, here, here's where we need to talk about this, is that sometimes in playing out our past, we can get stuck in the past. Been there? And we get stuck in the past, replaying our failures, replaying our mistakes. What we need to do is realize God has given me a new chance, a second chance to walk with him and get it right. And somebody says that sometimes dwelling in our past is like driving in your car down the 401. And you're trying to go down the 401 looking in your rearview mirror. How well does that work? Aren't you glad when they make cars, they have just a little small rearview mirror and a big, huge glass window that you're supposed to look out when you're driving ahead? Because the, the cars are built to drive straight ahead, not to go in reverse a lot most of the time. And to a certain degree in the Christian life, when we've done things that are wrong in the past, yeah, we can, we can sometimes allow ourselves to beat ourselves up. We tend to condemn ourselves. But the Bible says there's freedom in Christ, and we're to kind of embrace the, the blessing of forgiveness in our lives and say the past is past. I, I forget the things which are past, and I reach forward to being more Christ-like in the future. Don't get stuck in the past. I'm sure he felt upset for rebelling against God. And as he writes out the story, because he's the author, he's the one who's writing this book. He's writing this past tense after this all happened. He would have had regrets. You see... Jonah found out that God gives second chances. And the thing is, though, we never get back the time we wasted in sin. There are always consequences for our rebellion, but through God's grace, when we repent, we get a chance to start over again. Because sometimes you want to keep replaying the past, and God says no. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things are past. All things have become new. And that's good news for all of us, isn't it? Some of us wished sometimes that we had, could have another shot. We've made sinful mistakes in our lives, perhaps finances, jobs, parenting, marriages, which lead us to wish we could have one more chance. Just, I want to make it right. One time or another, we've all longed for that second chance to do it over again. In Jonah chapter 3, 1 and 2, we read these words. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's the second chance. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You know, God could have picked anyone else besides Jonah, but he didn't. He picks him again and says, I want you to deliver it. And it's the same verse of Scripture as you go to chapter 1 in the commission that God gives. It's an apparent command. Go. It's like, this is a command. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Don't go to the left. Go to the right. Go and do what I've told you to do. And when God gives a command, 
you obey. The focus here is on Jonah. He is to preach only what God speaks to him about. This is the message. This is what I want you to say. The mission trip was not about what he wanted for Nineveh, but rather about what God wanted for Nineveh. It's not about what you want, Jonah. It's about what I want. And that means he needed to submit to what God wanted in his life. The message I, I want you to present, this is what I am giving you. The fact that Jonah has the opportunity to obey God shows that God is the great God of the second chance. The center point of the book here is that Jonah, who has been given a second chance, doesn't really want God to give the Ninevites a second chance. He's okay with uh, God giving him a second chance, but the Ninevites, well, that's another story. I really don't like those people. I really don't like the way they behave. I don't like, you know, you know the atrocities, you know the, the bad stuff they've done? It's funny, you know, I've met people like that. People who profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I remember different counseling sessions talking to a guy that he wanted to reconcile with a, with a gal. And, uh, and then I, he said, but do you know what she did? I said, so he recounted for me what she did. And I said, yeah. He says, I, he says, Pastor, I can't forgive her. So oh. every time I hear that, I kind of get a burr in my saddle. And I, and I said, do I said, well, I said to the guy, I said, listen, what has Jesus Christ forgiven you from? I said, what's the Bible say about that? Well, he said, the Bible says, he said that God has forgiven. I said, how much of your sin? Just a little bit? No, he said, all my sin. Like, like past, present, future, all covered, right? You're right. It's good. So if God can forgive all of your sin, then why can't you forgive her for what she's done? He says, but I can't. And I watched his wife just weeping. And I wanted to grab that guy by the scruff of the neck and say, get with it, dude. But that's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. But Jonah, his heart wasn't in it. Second chances, they're for the Jewish nation. Not the Ninevites, not the, not the Assyrians. They're not. Why would you show mercy to them? They're bad people. Jonah 3.3. 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an important city. A visit required three days. It took about three days to walk across the place. This, let me get, describe to you. The city of Nineveh is located on the east bank of the Tigris River, today in northern Iraq, across the river from the city of Mosul. Have you actually studied it? It served at that point as capital for the Assyrian Empire. There are many physical details that would warrant labeling Nineveh as a great city. Its population at the time of Jonah's time is estimated at about five, 600,000, taking the 120,000 as children in chapter 4, verse 11. Its walls were at one point were so were 100 feet high and broad enough to drive three chariots abreast around the walls. Nineveh was great in God's eyes, an object of living concern for him. Even Jonah... He only saw the wickedness of the people when he came there. It was for God, a great city, a city in whom he sought their eternal welfare. He was concerned about the people's souls. Where are they really at? And all Jonah could see was, they're a wicked bunch of people. But you know what I thought? Uh, what about Amherstburg, the town we live in? 
has a population right now about 22,000 projected to grow to 26, 27,000 next few years. And the average age in our community is about 42 for the latest census. It's about 71 square miles in size. It's told on the website, it's a small town charm with a convenience found only in larger communities. As a town in the last five years, up to the census was 2016, came out in 2017, we've grown 1.85%. Guess what? Throw it out because we're growing faster. Just talking with uh, Mo and the, up by the Friar subdivision up there on Friar Street, there's 1,700 new homes going in. The production growth for Boblo Island, yeah, you can tell the people who live in Boblo, the master plan says 1,800 residences on that island alone. That's the master plan. So we have about 8,900 private dwellings in our community. And if you even look at those new developments and think about three people roughly per home, this town is set to really explode. But the interesting says 50% of our populace actually in Amherstburg work in this town, in the city of Windsor. On our town's website, there's five churches listed. In terms of going to church in our community, I believe, like from talking from the guys, Less than 5% of our populace goes to church on any given Sunday. I'm not talking evangelical churches. They're just going to church, period. 5%. There's a great need for the gospel to be proclaimed in our community. So when you look at Amherstburg, do you, do you look at them through like, there's a bunch of wicked people? Or do you think, well, they're, they're okay people? Uh, what do you see? Because you see, the problem with Jonah was that he, he was compelled by God to go as an imperative to share a message of doom that would lead to repentance. But his vision was this, that he looked at them as being wicked. He didn't see them as people that were in need of God's mercy. When we look at Amherstburg today, do we see the people in Amherstburg in need of God's mercy? What kind of eyes do we have? The average evangelical church in our community averages 100 people a Sunday. I know I've talked to that pastor. Is there a need in our community for repentance and turning to God? Is God concerned about the town of Amherstburg and its need for the gospel? The answer I would say is yes. In Jonah 3 verse 4 it says, On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. There's about eight or nine words there. And the Hebrew was only five words. So as he began preaching on the first day in Nineveh, his message was simply five Hebrew words. And he just kept saying those old words over and over again. Some have said, including Martin Luther, that these words served as a summary of Jonah's message as he gave a fuller explanation through his preaching. Some said, well, it was just an entire message. But whatever he just said, whatever God told him to say, he just said it. It wasn't like he was compassionate. He was just letting it rip. Forty more days, they're going to burn. Forty more days, judgment. Forty more days, it's going to be overturned. Not a person who really has a heart for Nineveh, is he? I thought, I thought about that. I thought, what would it be like if I said, I'm going to give you placards or postcards, you know, big placards bore and with sticks. And we're going to start walking through the town of Amherstburg and get repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, repent. 
first of all, people look at us like, man, we're weird. Some people want to know, what's the word repent mean? They wouldn't know what that means. Kingdom of God, what's that about? Because we live in a biblically illiterate society. They have no idea what you're talking about. But I thought, as Jonah preached, did the people really understand? All they heard was, judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. And so the idea of it's going to, this place is going to be overthrown. You need to change. But then I thought, okay, you get this guy smelling from fist puke, bleached white skin, is walking through town, and he's just laying, laying it on them. How would they respond? Did Jonah preach all along the way or just at the end of the day? The text doesn't really say, but uh, anyone who's serious would preach along the way. But well, was Jonah really serious? I know he's serious of taking advantage of the second chance that God had given him, as we'll learn about in chapter 4. But Jonah is not all that serious about saving the Ninevites. He's hoping that God's going to burn the place down. And I just can't wait to see the Ninevites roasted because of all the wicked stuff they've done, because they're the arch enemy of the Israelites. He's looking forward to the overthrow of the cities. How do you know that? Well, we'll read the next chapter next week. It's difficult to imagine that he preached his short sermon with any conviction, that he put any force to it, that he even made eye contact and tried to persuade people. Jonah had to go to Nineveh because that was his second chance. He had to deliver God's message, but he didn't have to like it. Forty days. But those words hint that God really wasn't determined to destroy the city. If you were so determined, why wait 40 days? Why not just you know, burn the place down now? Why give these people warning? But all throughout Scripture, you, you see the term 40 happening all the time. You know, uh, it's seen as an opportunity to repent, an opportunity for people to change their behavior, a chance to perhaps save themselves. 40 is the number that appears all throughout Old and New Testament. The flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Israel wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Moses on Mount Sinai, 40 days. You keep seeing 40, 40. Usually means uh, a name uh, specifying judgment and challenge. In Jonah 3, 5, it says this. And this, this is probably, the, somebody said, this is the greatest revival that ever happened in the entire world. Listen to this. The Ninevites believe God. Okay, well, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was Jonah that was preaching the message. But the message was what? From God. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I know what, you, what you're saying, and you know, it's, it's, it's just what you're saying. I said, no. I always try to preach God's word because the word of God promises that when his word is taught and preached, it does not come back void. I don't want to be my words. I want to be God's words. He said, they believed God. They declared a fast. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest least, put on sackcloth. They meant business with God. Wow. Awesome. It's a preacher's dream come true. Jonah had preached, and all of a sudden, everyone within the city had repented. Everyone. Amazing. But such results can only be attributed to what the Holy Spirit of God does within our lives. And when God's word goes forth and speaks to people's hearts, you know, it's God doing the work. Because sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, 
Uh, I'll stand at the door and shake people's hands. I don't always do it here because I like to talk to people in the fo- in, in church. And I'll go shake people's hands. And people say, wonderful message, Pastor. And I, I feel like saying, so what was it you really liked? And he, I sometimes have done that and they go like, they can't remember. Then sometimes they'll say, well, Pastor, I felt, and I've heard this many times, I felt like you walked up one side of me and down the other. Do you, do you know what was going on in my life this week? I said, honestly, I don't have a clue what was going on in your life. But when you feel God walking into your life and dealing with issues in your life, then you know it's the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God that's impacting and changing your life. Because only the Holy Spirit of God, as He speaks to the Word of God, that brings conviction and repentance into our lives. So it's my prayer every week as I stand here that the words that I speak, that God will use them to speak to your hearts and that you hear God through them, not Adrian Nineveh. So Jonah certainly couldn't claim credit as being the greatest preacher. It wasn't like, hey, he had his own TV show and he was going worldwide in that podcast. No. But 500,000 people repented. That's bigger than any Billy Graham crusade. Fasting sackcloth were ways of demonstrating grief or penitence in that day. Fasting involved absence from food and sometimes drink for a period of time to show we're serious. When we mean business with God. Sometimes people often observe fasting as a spiritual discipline. Sackcloth, it's a, a rough material that you can wear, sometimes made of goat's hair or camel's hair, and they, 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 that's what they put on them. It's the kind of cloth that a person would use for heavy-duty sacks, hence the name, or tents. But the coarse texture is uncomfortable and worn against the skin, making it unsuitable for clothing. Did people do that back then in that day in terms of repentance and penitence? The answer is, yeah, you can read about it all throughout Scripture. Whatever Jonah's specific proclamation was to the people, the Holy Spirit of God began to work a miracle within the people's hearts. Uh, People say, you know, critics will look at this and say, well, you know what, how do we know it was really real? I'll tell you why I know it's real. Because Jesus references story in the Gospels. And if Jesus said it, I believe it. I'm okay with it. Their faith showed itself through actions of fasting and putting on sackcloth. The whole idea was that what the conviction of the Holy Spirit did was it resulted in, did you hear me? Physical action. Sometimes that's a challenge, because sometimes, you know what, we can go to church, we can hear a message, feel very convicted and say, you know what, that was really good and I need to do something about it, and we do nothing. That's right. But when the Holy Spirit of God works in your life, you know that it's real when it produces action, steps in your life to make changes. That's the real thing. So Jonah's message spread throughout the city, and we always know that nothing is impossible when God works through his word. There isn't really a question of genuine repentance on the Ninevites' part, because as I said, Jesus held it up. In Jonah 3, 6-9, when the news, Jonah's warning, reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of his king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on the on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? 
God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not all perish. The word of the Lord reaches the king of Nineveh. It was not through a direct contact with Jonah, but the message was spread through word of mouth throughout the city. What's the best means of advertising, folks? Word of mouth. And when he got wind of what was happening in his town, in his city called Nineveh, he took it upon himself, you know what? This is really something else. It's definitely a work of God. It worked repentance in the heart of the king, which showed himself that he actually put on sackcloth and ashes himself. And so the king's great hope is realized. And he, he goes before them and he just says, you know what? We need to do this. And he proclaims it all throughout the city that everybody needs to be doing this. And what you know what happens? Look at Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he had compassion and none to bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You know, God does answer prayer. And so he, he turns from the fierce anger. He decides to spare the Ninevites in his great mercy because our God is a God of mercy. We shouldn't be surprised at this outcome because God could, would not have insisted that Jonah go to Nineveh if God didn't want to spare the Ninevites the destruction he was considering. The story of Jonah has been about grace from the very first verse. But a friend of mine I was talking to at our prayer gathering on Thursday morning, I found out he's also preaching through Jonah, except he's wrapping up today. And I thought we were talking about the whole series on Jonah. And he said, you know that in Jewish synagogues, certain times of the year they'll read through the whole book of Jonah in the Jewish synagogue, and they'll all stand up and they'll say these words, I am Jonah. Talking about their hard-heartedness and their willingness to share the good news of Christ. Not the good news of Christ, the good news of God. They don't believe in Christ. So the irony is that this story of Jonah parallels that of the Ninevites. Jonah disobeyed God and found himself on the verge of disaster. However, God gave Jonah a second chance, and he was totally cool with that. When he obeyed God by going to Nineveh and preaching the sermon that God gave him, he not only helped save their lives, also saved his own. But Jonah wasn't insightful enough to compare his own disobedience and salvation to that of the Ninevites. He was totally cool, God. You can save me, you can help me, but don't save them, Lord. See, I think Jonah had been looking forward to the fireworks and watching God's judgment come down and fry them all. But Jeremiah 18, 5 to 11 is a great commentary on this. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, talking to Jeremiah, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down or destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. 
So then speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. See, God's blessings are contingent upon man's obedience. And God's judgment may be averted by repentance. We say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me for what I've done and help me to live my life in a way that brings honor and glory to you. The Ninevites hope for and Jonah expected God's relenting based on the principle that we just read. When my people obey my voice. Imagine going home today as I conclude by going out to Amherstburg to preach the message of 40 days. A plan that has guaranteed results of Jonah. And everyone for the greatest to least are going to repent and believe on God. You say, wow. You say, that, uh, that's almost too uh, unbelievable to think about. But would we jump at the chance to see everyone in Amherstburg come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? What would that do for this town? Would this town operate differently? Think about it. But most of us don't think about it because we don't believe it will ever happen. We're just conditioned to, well, yeah, God will answer prayer in time and a little bit at a time, but to pray for revival, to pray for renewal, for people to come to Christ. There's no such guarantee when it comes to our preaching that God will save everyone. But yet God says he's willing to save all those who come to him in repentance. We can become discouraged like Jonah prefer to run away from God's call. Say, why, why should I share the good news with people around me? They're not going to listen. Let me tell you, the only reason that more people aren't at church, because you've never invited them. The greatest reason why people don't go to church is what? Never been invited. And what's the biggest struggle? Christians that are afraid to open up their mouths. Hey, would you come to church? Christians that are afraid to say, hey, you know what God's been doing in my life lately? Because we tend to be embarrassed by our faith. We tend to be embarrassed by what we believe. Well, I said, Jonah wasn't embarrassed. He was, yeah, but it was a message of judgment. But it was a message that God had laid on his heart. Has God, God given us that message? Yeah, yes. He's told us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to teach them and to baptize them in my name. You see, we have a guarantee. God's word works. Never forget that. The Word of God is powerful. It's very powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than, and, than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. Let God's Word do the work. It's not about you. It's not about how you're living. It's use the word because it's, it's God's tool. And he's promised results when we use this word of God. In spite of our sinfulness and human limitations, we share the message. It brings about change in people's lives. This word of God is powerful. It stood the test of time. People tried to burn this book. They've tried to get rid of this book. They've gotten it out of the public school systems. They've taken it out of the court systems. And they continue to try to get away from it. But God's word still stands doesn't change.
and God is still looking for his servants to be used by him for this great task of bringing people the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, we live in this town we call Amherstburg. And Father, we just pray for this town. Lord, uh, we say, well, I'd really like to see more people come to Christ. Amen. But then we have to ask ourselves, did you give us that message? And what are we doing to share that message? So Lord, grant us a holy boldness to share the good news of Christ. And just frankly, invite someone out to church. That's all it takes. Lord, help us to fulfill the great commission and not make it the great omission in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.